0: Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Osa Duran, and this is Beyond the Kale, the podcast where people come to share their vegan stories. Now, whenever somebody finds out I'm vegan, I get all kinds of questions, including...
1: How do you get your protein?" Being
0: vegan is expensive, why right? why did
1: you go vegan? What's your name?
0: And the one that I get more often than I ever thought I would...
1: How can you be Mexican and vegan?
0: Now, to be honest, the answer usually depends on who's asking, because sometimes... I just don't feel like getting into it. But that ain't happening here. On Beyond the Kale, we're getting into all types of topics, including some that we as vegans often just don't talk about. Episode number seven, coming right up.
1: Alessandra Tarrant and my favorite place to eat is Gokoku in North Hollywood studio city California they have vegan sushi ramen and other delicious Japanese Korean dishes it's definitely I think a gem in the valley
0: hello welcome to Beyond the Kale episode number 7 Alessandra Tarrant is a Los Angeles based content creator traveler and storyteller she's very active on Instagram and Her account is one of the very first I followed when I went vegan. It honestly proved to be a very big resource for me when I was looking for places to eat in and around LA in those very early days of my own vegan journey. So I was really excited to get the chance to speak with her about her story. Now, in this episode, we speak about some of the traveling she's done. Alessandra is part of her work has traveled to more than 25 countries.
1: I was able to eat vegan everywhere. Some places were more difficult than others for sure, but I think the places that people think would be the most difficult
0: weren't. You'll hear which destinations she says she found to be the most and the least vegan friendly. And
1: I was eating out so much and I wasn't really exercising. I ended up getting like a lot of weight.
0: You'll also hear about some of the struggles she faced as a vegan influencer who often found herself eating out so she could have content to post online. Plus,
1: my late grandfather's cousin asking me if I didn't eat meat, what I was going to cook for my husband when I got married.
0: She also explains how different family members reacted to her decision to stop eating meat and how she responded to them. Now, if any of you are familiar with Alessandra, I'm sure you know that she's a panelist on an online vegan talk show called The Vegan View, which she hosts along with three other women.
1: The rest of the girls are Hannah Hagler, Melina Galabova, and Joy Lier. We discuss a range of different things, vegan fashion, vegan beauty, lots of food reviews, lots of restaurant reviews. We're constantly doing taste tests, trying new and vegan things, giving you honest reviews.
0: Now we start this conversation off with Alessandra explaining how she got linked up with The Vegan View, and what attracted her to the project. Check it out.
1: Right before the pandemic happened, I was, in, I was finishing up film school, and I was going to direct slash produce a project, a movie, and I knew that I wanted to give vegan actors as much of a space as possible, mm. so I wanted them to come and to, and to um, audition for the movie. So my friend Devin put me in contact with Hannah, uh, who's, who's part of the original uh, panel for The Vegan View, um, and I kind of brought her in and I met her in person really there. And then we, you know, kind of became friends and um, got to know each other. I already knew Melina from before. I knew Joy from before. And then with, when the pandemic happened, um, The Vegan View took a little break. And for personal reasons, the original, the, orig- the other original two girls decided to step back um, and work more on their personal projects. And then Hannah reached out to me and said, you know, I'd really like to have you on the show. Who else can you think of? And she kind of thought about Melina and I kind of thought about Joy um, and they all already knew each other. So I think there was good synergy. And yeah, I think I, I thought it was like a really good group and I thought it would be a really fun thing to do and really good thing to, to put my energy into because I had seen some of the episodes before and I just loved the vibe. I loved what they did. I thought it was really fun and yeah, just to, I think they're all um, female powerhouses, so I really wanted to be part of that.
0: No, and I agree. You said that there's some really good uh, synergy there, and the few episodes I've had an opportunity to watch myself, you guys have a really, really cool vibe going.
1: Yeah, yeah, it gets it gets loud, and um, we're <laughs> we're very honest. We've had <laughs> we've had a couple uh, comments that are, that kind of comment on um, how many bad words we say
0: just oh, because really? we're not
1: holding. Yeah. Just because we're not holding back. <laughs> They're like, Oh, I wish you would say less bad words. It's Like, I mean, we'll try, but if I have to drop an F bomb in, in the middle of something, cause I'm passionate about something, that's kind of what you're going to get. We're not, we're not really omitting much. Yeah.
0: I think that's kind of refreshing to be honest with you, you know, keeping it real with people.
1: Yeah. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but we have an audience and you like it, you like it. You don't, you don't.
0: Yeah. I know you said it's been around for a long time and, and you guys cover a wide array of topics, but, do maybe one or two episodes come to mind to recommend to somebody as a way as an introduction to the vegan view?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, well, we have a couple of episodes where we discuss like entry-level veganism and mm. mistakes that people make when they first go vegan or tips that we have. Um, I definitely recommend those. Those are the more like discussion focused yeah. episodes where we really get to, if you will, pick our brains about what it was like going vegan, what what we experience other people say is like going vegan, while people, why people fail, the mistakes they make, and how we think those could be helped or remedied um, to make it easier, to make the transition easier. Um, and then there's a fun episode too um, that is called 60 Things You Didn't Know Were Vegan. And they're just accidental vegan things. Oh, wow. um, some of you know, some of the, some of them are a little more well-known. Others are a little more like, oh, I didn't know that was vegan. Like, there's like a plain Pop-Tart that's vegan, for example. Um, So there's, you know, generally they're like things that you could find at Walmart or things like that. Um, Not probably not the healthiest foods, but it's good to know that you have options and things that you would normally walk past in the supermarket and think, oh, well, I can't have that anymore. It's like, actually, you can, you know, just got to read the label and and it's surprising. So I like those episodes um, to show to people.
0: I'm going to have to check some of those out myself.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Taking it back a little bit. Well, quite a bit, actually. I'm really curious to know about your, your Instagram account and your presence on social media in general.
1: I started when I went vegan eight and a half years ago. I kind of took the route of raw veganism. That's kind of how I was introduced to the vegan movement. And I wasn't fully raw vegan, but I was mostly raw vegan. Um, so I started I started just going online and looking up like meetup groups of like raw vegan potlucks or fruitlucks is what they were called. Um, and I started meeting people there. Not everybody there was raw vegan. Some people just like liked to come and like to hang out and it was like a very chill vibe. Um and I started meeting people there and started going to other, you know, potlucks and people doing other things and started really hanging out with these people. A lot of these people had a, a good following. Um, and then others I've met before they really like developed a influencer account or things like that um so just really was inspired by the people i was around to start posting food so just started posting every day it was just posting just what i was eating um whether it was like a smoothie i think that's how it started just like a smoothie that i made and then fancier things like going to like restaurants and trying like a new vegan thing or like um a restaurant that wasn't vegan, but had a vegan option and things like that. I just sort of yeah. posting and really documenting all the stuff online. And I think I started getting traction that way. Um, this was back when Instagram was dictated without the algorithm. It was just chronological. Yeah. So if people saw it in real time. And I think that was, that was a good time to grow on Instagram, at least for me in like the food space. A lot of people were seeing it. A lot of people were sharing it, was on the explore page, like a good amount of times for posting like a sandwich it's kind of crazy (laughs) how it's kind of like changed (laughs) over time. Um, but yeah, just, just really started doing that and started posting. And I think that's kind of how my following grew. Um, and then I stayed in the vegan community, stopped posting as much food, um, decided to make it a little more personal about me, you know, about who I was, what I did for work, um, started focusing a little more on blogging and travel blogging. um, for the job that I took later and kind of left the, the just the narrow food esque thing aside. But that was basically my introduction into vegan food Instagram.
0: And when you decided to start incorporating more about yourself and your life into your Instagram account, what was the reaction like from your followers?
1: So at the time when I had gotten to, I don't know, let's say like 6,000 followers, 7,000 followers, um, it was mostly food. It was a food audience, so people followed me for food. Mm-hmm. So when I would post a photo of like myself with somebody or just like a, a selfie or whatever I would post, I think I remember like getting like 200 likes on a photo of me. Um, and then the previous post was like a burrito or a donut and it got, you know, 1,200 likes. So I think oh, wow. it was, was kind of like shocking to the system, like, oh, cool. Where's the food, yeah. <laughs> you know? And slowly, I slowly started uh, changing it back to being a personal one. I think at this point now, it's really just like a personal Instagram.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: if I posted, I think a photo of a latte, I think it would get like 60 likes. I don't think anybody would like it. <laughs> <laughs> Instagram is a different place now. It's, it's, uh, a lot of people complain about it. A lot of influencers complain about the the reach and the reach not being there anymore. Really? I mean, yeah, like um, I know someone who has about eighty-five thousand followers and I think they're showing her posts to less than eight percent of that of her followers. So if she wow. posts something, it's it's only 10% or less that actually sees the post. And if it doesn't do well with that first 8%, then it's almost like they don't show it to the rest of the people because they don't deem it worthy of being on their feeds. Or if they do eventually show it, it'll be like a few days later. You know, when you're scrolling through an Instagram and you see something like, oh, three days ago. Yeah. Like, why didn't I see this when they posted this? It's kind of, I guess it's kind of how it works. Um, which I find to be really interesting considering if you have 80,000 followers, it, you know, I think they're following you because they want to see your posts. It kind of makes sense that you show your post to the people that are following you. If they didn't want to see your post, they would unfollow you. But, you know, that's that's another conversation.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm curious then. um, Is there anything that you've learned over time that you would... I know you said it's a lot different now, but... Yeah. Is there any kind of advice you can offer to people that are looking to do something similar in building their audience?
1: I think the most important thing... um, And this is advice that I haven't necessarily taken because I think being an influencer has kind of taken a backseat and it's not something that's a priority for me anymore. But if it is a priority to someone listening and they would like to make it their career, um, or at least something that is like a side hustle, I think the most important thing that I've learned just from other people and myself when I was doing it was just consistency and posting all the time. When I saw the biggest growth was when I was posting food and I was posting every single day. And sometimes i would post twice a day if i was doing something really exciting and going to multiple restaurants just to get out of the way i would post every single day but it also got to a point where i it was almost anxiety inducing Mm. um because if i was at home on sunday not wanting to post i would have to be like "Oh, mom let's go eat somewhere i need to post something you know yeah um so but there are ways you know there are ways now that you can get content for the future and and stock it and and be really smart about when you post. But I think that's yeah. the most important thing. It's just consistency. And people say like, find a niche, blah, 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 blah. But I personally, I, I've i seen people that post like a flower and then an orange peel and then food, like they don't have a niche and they do really well too. I think it's more about consistency.
0: You said you were spending a lot of time posting stuff on Instagram and on social media. Right. and Sometimes it was a bit stressful when you felt like you should be posting when you weren't. Can can you just tell me a little bit more about that?
1: This is more specifically when I was doing the food vlogging thing. Um, and I was posting a lot about food, um, just going to different restaurants and just having to post everything I ate to kind of like keep the engagement up and keep people like, um, keep the follower growth where it was to keep Mm -hmm. that, you know, going up. um, yeah, like I said, I was posting every day. Um, and I think I was hanging around a lot of food influencers. So a lot of times we would go and get these things for free. But if I was doing things on my own, obviously I would just go buy things. So I think financially it was burdensome
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, because out know, every day is expensive um, and much more. So if you're doing it a couple times a day, but I felt like I had to always be purchasing something and buying something. Um, to keep that afloat it's like it's it's you know it's an expensive thing to do to run a, a a restaurant review slash food blog if you're not getting everything
2: sponsored yeah
1: so so that and also like the added pressure of having to post something every day i never got to be clear i never got pressure from like a restaurant or anything to post
2: mm-hmm.
1: um it was all like self-induced um because i would like go somewhere like want to post something and then like oh shoot like it's like like it took me too long. It's already like 11 a.m. And like the, before, there was like a time that you would post yeah. for for the most uh, amount of people to see that post, and then you would get better engagement if you posted at a certain time. And it was true. Like if you posted at 3, 4 p.m., um, you know, you'd get half the likes or half the people on it because everybody was normally on between a certain time to a certain time. Yeah. So there was like a lot of pressure to to post um, during a certain time. And if you miss the window, then you're kind of stressed about it. And like, okay, it's one day that I can post. I wonder how this will affect my engagement tomorrow because it all was sort of connected. Mm. Um, so that that added thing. And then also um, I was eating out so much and I wasn't really exercising to compensate it
2: mm-hmm. that
1: I ended up getting like a lot of weight um, just trying to keep up with all this stuff because I like, yeah. I have the appetite of a sumo wrestler. Like if you put things in front of me, I will eat things. <laughs> Like I know a lot of like food influencer or food bloggers are really good about ordering stuff and then taking the other to go or coming with a lot of people, blah, blah, Like I, yeah.
2: if
1: it's there, I wanted to eat all of it. <laughs> I feel like I've always had, in that sense, a really great relationship with food. Just like come to me yeah. no matter what it is. <laughs> um, if it's vegan, I want to try it. Um. So, so that just, that also kind of like affected me too was like, I felt the pressure of having to you know post all the time, but then also mm. like, wasn't, working out 4 hours a day yeah. um to compensate for you know the meals i was having for three or four people so like that took um that took a toll obviously because the whole it was i don't want to say it was the whole idea obviously the most important thing about veganism was the animals for me yeah. but the added benefit of it was obviously like being able to eat more um than yeah. before and like basically like Stay at the same weight,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is true. Like if I was eating, I don't know. I was, I basically I it was and am able to eat more than I did before when I was pescatarian. I feel like I had a really strict diet um, to maintain the weight that I wanted to maintain. And I feel like now I really can eat so many vegetables and so much food, and not really have to worry about that and not count calories and that kind of thing. Yeah. But inevitably when you're going to restaurants all the time, when you're, when you're doing two, three meals a day, or even just one meal a day, you don't have control over what they put in the food. Yeah. You don't know how much like oil and like added stuff is in there. Like, you know, and just like fats and things like that. So that also just like affected my life in that way. Um, so when I got the job, uh, the travel job, it kind of like all stopped not immediately, but just like, I did it a lot less. So I feel like I was able to like regain my life in that sense. Like I stopped posting as much food, started posting more of just me, like my personal travels and things like that. And just, um, it's almost like less people were engaging with that because it wasn't what they wanted. It wasn't what they signed up for, but in a way it was a little liberating because, The way I looked at it was, well, I can't give you that anymore. If you want to see where I go instead or you want to see like the food that I do eat when I'm at a certain place, like it'd be nice if you stayed, but if you don't like it's fine, Yeah. especially because it was never, I was never making money off of that. Mm. It was just more just growing my account. So I was okay with letting it go.
0: I mentioned when we spoke on the phone that you were one, your account was one of the first ones that I found uh, when I went vegan. And one of the things that really stood out to me was seeing a vegan influencer who was a Latina because I,
2: yeah. being a
0: Latino, didn't see any other vegans that, you know, looked like me or, or had a similar yeah. cultural background. Uh, your account was really, really helpful in in, in helping me stick with veganism and, and realizing that it was possible. That's amazing. I love that. Yeah. And I'm curious to know, have you heard other people mention that kind of stuff? And was that an active choice on your part to incorporate, um, you know, your cultural background into the social media posts that, that that you were, you know, posting on a daily basis?
1: That's a great question. Uh, both questions. I've been DM'd a few times about being Latina and being vegan. Um, and just like the little like, nuggets of information if you will that i'll share about like places that you could go and get this or go go and get that or even just like memes that i share that are like relevant Mm -hmm. um but not so much that like to be honest that i was like a guide um i hope that i hope that that was the case for more people i think i didn't set out for to do that you know it's not like my account's called vegan latina or something like that but um i think just naturally with what I was eating, with what I was doing, with what I was traveling with traveling, if my mom was making something, um, if politically I had an opinion, if um I had an experience just in the vegan movement and it was somehow relevant to me being Hispanic, um I would post about it. And I feel like I've always been pretty like outspoken, especially on like on my stories um about my opinions. Yeah. Whether it be in the food movement or in the vegan movement or with you know, specific people or like politicians or things like that. Like I've, um, I've always been very vocal about that. So, and about issues I think that affect um, Hispanic people. Like there was a civil war in Ecuador a couple of years ago because of the, the, the former administration that hasn't really gotten better with the current administration. And that kind of thing, it's like, you know we already have so much going on here in the U.S that people don't really read. I think not many people read outside news in the outside world. So I, I feel like I always try to like post things to educate people because I see a lot of things that educate me with through other accounts. There's a lot of people that will post things about what's going on in Europe or what's going on like other countries of Latin America that I had no idea. So I always appreciate um, just a, I wanna say like nonpartisan, although it depends on who you ask. I think, you know, some people might view me one way or another, but I think just like a neutral kind of like, um, non-media biased opinion about what is happening. Um, so again, like the intent was never to be a guide, but it makes me happy that you saw it that way. Um, I just tried to be as just natural as possible. And I Mm -hmm. think Obviously, like if you are Hispanic, it's like in your blood and it's like in your it's in your roots and it's in what you eat and it's in how you speak and and the things that matter to you. So, I don't know. it was like unint- it was almost like unintentional. Yeah. I guess is the best is the best way to
0: put it. like I said it it did help me.
1: I'm really glad it did.
0: I'm sure it did help others. Yeah. Especially those early days and weeks and months of yeah. transition into a vegan lifestyle. It's it's sometimes it's it's very difficult yeah. there at the beginning. So yeah,
1: especially when you know there's like a stereotype of what a vegan person looks like or what yep. a vegan person eats or like who is able to go vegan. You know, yeah. there's a lot of stereotypes about that, just misconceptions about just people who have a lot of money being able to go vegan or being able to buy vegan food or afford vegan food. Yeah. You know, like all those all those issues um that people bring up and, and and sometimes they're valid, you know, if we're talking about Absolutely. going to vegan restaurants and they're charging you $17 for a salad. Like what is that? Or you go to a non-vegan restaurant and they'll charge you $18 for a burger when the regular burger is $15 or $14, yep. you know. I think that might be like a demand thing too, but you know, and some sometimes it there are, they are valid arguments, and like you just hope that the more demand there is and the more product there is out there that that kind of changes. Yeah. Um, but then you know sometimes it's a little it's 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 incorrect because sometimes, or most of the time, vegetables, as you know, are the cheapest thing that you can buy. Yep. So. It it really just depends on how you're shopping, where you're shopping, yeah, what you're eating, if you're going out that much. It's not it's not a black and white answer. It's not fair to say that vegan food, um, and being vegan is more expensive. It just it depends like anything. Like my dad will go and he'll buy steak for two or three of his friends, and he'll spend like two hundred dollars on one meal because meat is expensive. Yeah, you know, yeah, I certainly don't spend that much money beyond me if I was cooking for four or five no, people, no, you know, <laughs> even though, even though it is pricey, even yeah. though it is pricey. um, I, you know, I would not spend $200. So, you know, it just, it, it all depends.
0: Yeah. You, you mentioned that the influencer thing isn't necessarily a priority for you these days. Yeah. May I ask why and what are your priorities these days when it comes to remaining involved in the vegan community?
1: Well, I think the vegan view has definitely taken a more of a front seat for me um, and just making sure we're putting out good content that is actually helping people doing things that are useful to people. Um, Reviewing things that are useful to people, giving information, uh, showcasing products that maybe they didn't know about giving a space for vegan um, people in general and specifically vegans of color to mm-hmm. be able to tell their story, be able to share their products and things like that. That to me is more important now than like posting with the brand or posting with, you know, a package of X vegan meat that they send yeah. me or something like that, you know? And I think the bottom line for that is just bringing more people to veganism and showing people that it can be easy, um, but also giving people the tools and the resources to learn about all the aspects of veganism because veganism is doing the least amount of harm possible. Um, and therefore being able to liberate animals, right. And making sure that you're not hurting animals, but also like other people. So there's obviously a lot of elements to that and there's a lot of layers to it. So just being a place um, of resource and helping others, I think that's, that was always the main goal for Mm. me of veganism is just, causing the least amount of harm.
0: I think you kind of hinted at some of the reasons why you decided to go vegan in the first place. But can you elaborate a little bit more on on your personal decision to transition into a, a vegan lifestyle? And was there any one specific moment that triggered that for you? Or was it you know a process over time?
1: I would say it was a process. I remember being little, being in elementary school. And oh, wow. I, used to, I used to like this band a lot. I was obsessed. There was this band called Simple Plan. Um, and they had a PETA ad and this was my first introduction to PETA and to animal rights and and just the wow. like graphic, just violence that was happening in the world. I was not aware of it. So my first introduction to, to PETA was actually like a fur farm. Um, they did a campaign where they were all shirtless and were holding up allegedly dead animals. I'm not sure it was, it was for, it was for shock, wow. it was like for the shock value of it. Yeah. Um, and it was sort of the message was don't wear fur, wear your own skin. Um, so it was very like jarring and like, Oh, I like them. Why are they doing this? What's this? And I kind of started yeah. um, went down the, the, the Peter rabbit hole. I think this was like fifth or sixth grade and just started seeing all the videos and all the things that were happening. So after that, I knew I wanted to stop eating animals. Didn't really know what vegetarian was fully. Didn't really didn't know what veganism was. That didn't come until much later but um, I knew that I wanted to stop eating meat. That was like the, that was the primary thing that didn't really happen until I was about 13 or 14. Um, I moved to Ecuador with my mom. So I lived there for two and a half years. And that's where I kind of decided one day, like, no, I'm going to stop eating meat. I'm just going to try to do vegetarian slash pescatarian. And mm. I say slash vegetarian because um I didn't eat fish that often. I was technically pescatarian, but my diet consisted mostly of vegetarian foods. Mm. Um, but let's call me pescatarian. I was pescatarian. Um. After that, stopped drinking milk. Stopped consuming cheese. Gradually, it became a gradual thing. I didn't. I didn't buy milk anymore. That was. This was just like a conscious decision to not want to participate in those things but um also didn't focus too much on it if that makes sense I just like I did it gradually um but I would buy almond milk and I would buy soy milk and those kinds of things but if I went out somewhere I would have a pastry didn't care what was in it of course it could have been filled with cheese dairy um and I would have those things and then when I moved back to LA and I was still pescatarian and I knew that at some point I wanted to stop eating animals completely. So yeah. I knew I wanted to cut out the fish. No, I wanted to cut out meat and dairy and all that stuff, but it wasn't a priority. It wasn't around me. And I was really the only person I knew that was pescatarian. Um, so it, I didn't feel the urgency. It was like, yeah. okay, well, I'm doing a lot already. And that's kind of where I was.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then um, first year of college, I was on Tinder back when Tinder was cool. <laughs> um before it was a weird weird place and I met this guy that I was dating for a couple of months um and I remember the first time I went to his apartment walking into his kitchen and there being like I don't know like 80 bananas on his counter oh, Wow! And I was like why do you have so many bananas on your counter and he says oh I'm I'm raw vegan he had never brought it up I didn't I didn't oh, wow. know what he ate, what he didn't eat. It was just, I had to walk into his apartment and see these 80 bananas.
2: Yeah.
1: I'm like, what do you do with all these bananas? And he's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm raw vegan. This is how I eat. This is why I eat this way, blah, blah, blah. And then kind of explained, um, first of all, like the health reasons for him being raw vegan. And it all makes sense. I'm like, yeah, it makes sense to eat raw vegetables. Yeah, that's the body needs. It seems like it's really good for you. Yeah. Um, you know, no one's ever blamed a carrot for giving them arthritis, you know,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> like it just makes sense. Yeah. So um, basically that day, that was, that was the day that I, we had like a good two hour conversation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I said, well, can I keep eating fish? And he's like, well, you know, there's really no sustainability behind it. And then kind of like gave me bullet points on that. Um, yeah. And he said, like, even for health reasons, like you, you know, it might be good for some fats, but in reality, like X, Y, Z. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, that makes sense. So I left his apartment and that day I was vegan pretty much. Wow. So it was just like the two hour, it was the two hour conversation. I was like, okay. And I don't want to say it was easy, but I, I can't, I also can't say it was like cold tofurky. Um, And it wasn't, you know, it was like quick. <laughs> it was,
2: yeah.
1: I was already Hardly having dairy, and I Mm -hmm. would eat fish every now and then. So, for me, it was just cutting out the dairy. I already had almond milk in my fridge, so I was like, Okay, I'll just go and I'll like buy like vegan things. But also, it helped too because I was doing the raw vegan first or the mostly Mm -hmm. raw vegan first. So, what I had to focus on was just buying fruits. And then, as I started meeting more people, and like you know joining facebook groups and following vegan pages online and on instagram i started seeing like all these wonderful things that you could make with with cashews and with tofu and with this and this and that and then of course by then there was already like boca burgers and there was like already like garden there was like a good amount of stuff already Mm -hmm. not like there is now but there was there was a good amount of stuff i remember the first vegan all vegan restaurant that i went to was sun cafe in studio city Mm -hmm. and i had a fully raw meal there with my mom and it was, she was very just confused about the whole experience. She was like, so nothing's cooked. Why? I remember it was such a vegan experience. Like if a, a, your standard LA typical vegan experience. I walked in this, yeah. into Sun Cafe when it was little and mostly raw and Steve-O walks out. And at the time, I, Steve-O was, <laughs> was vegan. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, I've heard that he's vegan. I've seen him on PETA ads. Yeah. So, um, and like, you know, just kind of like took off from there. And I haven't looked back since. And it's been eight and a half years um let like stop doing like the the raw thing Mm -hmm. i think i just realized that food is so delicious and can you can make anything vegan and you know i i chose that life instead so here we are
0: i kind of want to take it back there for a minute you said that you were in ecuador when you stopped eating meat correct yeah, I'm curious to know what your mom's reaction was, and were there any other family members around? What their reactions were because yeah. Latin American cultures meat's a huge part of our diet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And our and our culture. Absolutely. I had already told my mom previously that I wanted to stop eating meat, and been a thing over the last few years where I tried a few times and failed yeah. when I was younger. I tried a few times and failed, so it wasn't it wasn't a complete shock to her either. But mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like the meme that we've all seen online where it's like. When you're little they force you to eat vegetables and then when you grow up and you only want to eat vegetables it's well what am i supposed to feed you i don't don't know vegetables you were trying to shove down my throat a couple years ago how about that let's start there
2: right
1: so i mean obviously it was like difficult for her but i think so much of ecuadorian food and we were were from the coast too so so much Mm, of the food already was like rice beans plantains grilled vegetables um Chao La Fan, which is like a mixture of like Ecuadorian and like uh Chinese um immigrants living in Ecuador and they like like fuse like a new kind of food. I know oh, it's wow. a really big thing in like Peruvian culture too. So just yeah. a lot of it was already like vegetarian friendly. Um and being on the coast, there was also a lot of seafood. So it was yeah. it really wasn't difficult. There's was a lot of cheese. Um okay. and I was eating cheese at the time. So it it really wasn't it wasn't hard and I wasn't I wasn't super nitpicky either about um like meat so if someone made something in like a in the juice or of the whatever had like chicken in it I would just pick the chicken out and I'd be like oh I'll just eat this
2: yeah
1: it was more so like me inching towards my goal and I wasn't really um I don't want to say strict because it's 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 not like i was vegan back there you know back then yeah um it was just i was learning and that was the kind of like what i did so little by little i started eliminating things um but yeah i mean i know that the people around me like my grandma and like other people were very confused i remember at one point (laughs) someone who's my late grandfather's cousin or something like that asking me if i didn't eat meat well. What I was gonna cook for my husband when I got married. Oh wow. She was a very religious lady. And I just said to her, I'm gonna find a man that cooks vegan food for me.
2: <laughs>
1: so it was very it was very jarring to her. Um, but yeah, I mean it wasn't it wasn't like like yay, good for you. It was like, okay, this is a phase. Yeah, sure. You know, that's kind of like that's kind of the reaction.
0: I can totally relate because I've I've had very similar reactions to my decision to go vegan from a number of family members. So I, I totally get it. Yeah, And I really want to uh, comment on something that you said there, you you know, you said that you weren't vegan back then, and you were learning and, and you yeah. were just inching towards your goal. And I, I think that's great to hear. I had a similar experience when I went vegetarian and then eventually vegan. And Honestly, even when I went vegan, I I found myself making mistakes and not realizing that I was doing it wrong. Right. And instead of, you know, saying, well, well, I did it wrong. I'm giving up.
1: Yeah, I think that's that's the important part. I think there's a lot of people um, who make mistakes or they don't know enough. They don't research enough. Yeah. They don't have enough resources. They don't have enough support. It could it could be for multitude, multitude of reasons. um, And they don't feel they don't feel like they're set up for success Yeah, and they end up stopping or they end up quitting or giving up because, you know, they just couldn't do it or it was too hard. Um, and that could be reflected in, you know, social pressure. Like they went out and everyone was like, Oh, come on, just eat this. It'll be fine. Or, you know, they didn't know what to make and they had salad every day for a week and felt, you know, weak. Cause they were eating 600 calories in a day and they were blaming it on veganism. You know, it's, yeah. It's, there's, there's so many mistakes can be made. Um, and I think it's important to kind of like know what you're doing. I think it's, it might be easier for people who are already like really good chefs and who are already really creative in the kitchen. That was not me.
2: Yeah. I me was, either.
1: I was very like relaxed with like the cooking. I was like, mm, rice and beans that'll do. And in the beginning I was only eating fruit. So it's like, it made like cut up fruit and I eat that, but for most of my meals, so it was like yeah. a really easy thing to get into, but yeah. I mean, definitely social pressure and all that stuff really stops people from doing it. And I think the the goal is to acknowledge you made a mistake once you realize you made a mistake. Okay. Now I know better now. Um, I won't buy that thing again, or that wasn't the correct cheese or that wasn't, you know, whatever it is like, yeah. it's fine. We all make mistakes like 11, 12, 15 year vegans still might accidentally buy something that's not vegan or you know you go to a restaurant and someone tells you no yeah it's vegan and and ends up not being vegan it's not your fault it's yeah you know it's all about being better and doing the least amount of harm now i remember specifically talking about this on an episode of the vegan view and there were some people that misconstrued that and said well you can't be like a relaxed vegan you can't just like be vegan and say oh whatever i'll make mistakes like that's not the point the point is if you are wanting to be vegan and you make a mistake, don't throw it all away because of one mistake that you made. It's all, it's the impact you're having with every purchase, with every dollar that you're putting down, with every new product that you buy, be it a whole food product or, you know, a very processed high junk food, vegan product, whatever it is, you're voting with your dollars. And that's, what's important at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the next step that you take and what you do the most consistently is what's going to help the animals and keep animals out of slaughterhouses because the demand goes down. So yeah, that's important
0: and and i completely agree for me it's always a process right and and it's just actively working towards your towards your goal of minimizing the amount of harm or at least my goal of minimizing the amount of harm that i'm putting out yeah. in the world right i get how people can misconstrue that but yeah in the long run i think you said it perfectly right don't throw it all away just because you've made a mistake we're always learning we're always yeah. trying to get better and, and it's the way to approach it
1: yeah exactly i mean it's like i think also it's habitual it's like when you first go vegan, if you don't have the resources, you don't know, you might find yourself like Googling a lot or looking at the back of labels a lot or you know, just having to ask a friend. And that's fine. Like it's it's all about like creating like habits and like and learning. Um, if you haven't, if you've never been to the gym and you go, you know, the first week, it's gonna be hard. Like it's not fun. I don't- I, no one can tell me go to the gym is fun it's not no. um you know that first that first week like you kind of have to push yourself like until like or the first 21 days or however long it takes to create a habit you kind of have to do it and then eventually it's like second nature and you don't even think about it when i go to the supermarket right. it's not like my brain explodes and i'm like oh no i have to read all these labels It's like no yeah. it's like it's just it, it's become so easy you just pick 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 you know what's vegan you know what's not vegan oh is this hmm, oh yeah it is cool learned something new today. You know, it just becomes part of your life. And it's not as it's not as like draining and exhausting and and just time consuming as people may believe.
0: No, I agree. It it gets easier over time, for sure. Mm -hmm. Switching gears just a bit. Yeah. I'm very curious to hear about your travels. I know that you traveled quite a bit because of your previous job, correct?
1: Yes. So I worked for the CBS Travel News Editor. I produced a radio show for five years, and it was for CBS Networks. It was basically travel news. So we interviewed CEOs of airlines, CEOs of hotels, okay. um, just big people in politics that had to do with you know transportation bills being passed, Amtrak, uh, things like that. The show was produced from a different location around the world each week. So I was producing 52 shows a week. Wow. So I did that for five years. I wasn't personally going to every single show. There was other producers as well, but I did do a lot of traveling. I was at least once every three, three weeks, I was going somewhere, mm. sometimes more. Um, sometimes I would be home for four days and have to go somewhere else. And other times I'd be home for two weeks and then leave for a week. So it really just depended on the destination, how far it was and things like that. But yeah, I think... There was a lot of repeat destinations, but I think I ended up going to somewhere like 26 places, 26 uh, different countries, and then a good wow. amount of states. And again, this was like, there was other producers too. So mm-hmm. if I had been the only one, it would have been way more, I think. But but yeah, a lot of like repeat destinations. Like I, I think my in the five years that I worked there, I must have gone to Mexico like 10 times, 11 times, 12 times. So Very cool. Went to really cool places like Jordan, mm. Egypt. Saudi Arabia, and then places that are closer like Bend or uh, Branson, Missouri, you know, just just a really eclectic mix of, 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 places. And I was able to eat vegan everywhere. Some places were more difficult than others for sure. But I think the places that people think would be the most difficult mm-hmm. weren't. So Rwanda and Tanzania uh, in Africa, I had the best time every, like all the vegetables were vegan. I'd had plantains, rice, beans every day, yeah. an array of different vegetables. I had passion fruit juice every day,
2: mm.
1: hundreds of different fruits, fruit juices, no mock meats, but that was kind of like a cleanse too. Cause I, yeah. I do like eating processed food. That's just my thing. Yeah. So when I would go there, I would have, I would, you know, be cleansed <laughs> if you will. <laughs> and, um, just eat a lot of vegetables and I didn't miss it. It was delicious. Like yeah. I was able to eat, like immerse myself in the local culture and still have vegan food.
0: That's super cool.
1: Soy is pretty universal. So everywhere I went, like they always had soy milk. Mm-hmm. So that was like cross off the list. Like that was easy for me to have like in the morning with coffee, things like that. And then there's like oatmeal everywhere, like more basic, like continental things like oatmeal and, mm-hmm. and nuts and toast and avocado. Like you can find that in a lot of places. So that was really, really simple. I think that, I think the most difficult places to be vegan for me, and this isn't that necessarily there aren't options. Yeah. I was also working, so it's like I had to make be quick about my decisions and like go run here and get something, run here and get something. So it's not like I was sightseeing either. Like it's a different experience too if you go somewhere and you have like all day to find the options because you mm-hmm. will find options. There are things. It's just like quick on the move, right? Yeah. So I think the the two places that are coming to mind that were the most difficult for me were the first one was uh, Branson, Missouri, that I mentioned earlier. It's mm-hmm. like a it's like a mini Las Vegas, but for the oh, wow. older generation. That's kind of like the reputation.
0: Interesting. Bunch of
1: shows, casinos, things like that.
0: Yeah.
1: It was really hard to get something other than a salad there. It was like mm. salad, olive oil, salt. That's what I ate at a hotel. And I found, and I call these like hipster coffee shops. And that's that's how I know that they normally have like soy or oat or something like that. Yeah. I look for, I look for like a hipster coffee shop, quote unquote, um, in smaller places like that, because mm-hmm. they, I know that they'll have an option as opposed to like a diner which might not have an option. So of course they tried the local diner first and they didn't have soy, didn't have even like brown sugar. It was just like Splenda and white sugar and black coffee. And that's all they had. So (laughs) I was like, okay, I can, I can do better. So I found a coffee shop. Yeah. They had oat milk and they had almond milk and they had soy milk and they had different syrups and things like that. And I was like, great, boom. And then there was like a plain bagel that was vegan. Let's go, you know, made it happen. Oh yeah. And then the second place, that was really hard. Um, I think it, this also has to do with like economically, like the place and the pandemic and and a lot of places like shutting down and there just not being a lot of options in general um, yeah. was Selma, Alabama. Mm. So in Selma, I went into, I don't know if it was like a barbecue burger place, but it was like an, a side of the road place that's popular there for having like ribs and things like that. And I went in there, and I was like, "What can you do for me?" So their beans were <laughs> vegan, so I had a side of beans, and I had a pattyless burger. So they had wheat buns, and I had just buns, lettuce, tomato, <laughs> mustard, and ketchup in a bun. And it, I was like, so out of place. Like I don't drink soda. I had other, or I didn't. I didn't drink soda for a long time. Um, and I remember that being the first time in like five or six years that I had a diet Dr Pepper. I was like, you know what? When in Rome, right. I'm here. I'm having a patios burger. I'm having beans, um, just plain beans and uh, a Dr Pepper. Let's do it. Yeah. So, but you know what? Even like even that's an experience. And I think you know it's it's also about taking in the local community and and yeah, going to those absolutely. places and saying like, hey, I'm vegan. What do you have for me? And just that, even if they don't have anything for you they had to try to make something for you. And then, yeah. you know, that's like a seed planted, you know, maybe next time you're in Selma, Alabama, they'll have like a beyond patty or they'll have like at least a garden patty or a homemade bean patty or something. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. And I'm curious to know what tools do you use to seek out your vegan options when you are traveling? Is it Yelp? Is it Instagram? Is it, you know, a combination of, of of those two things and other resources?
1: Yeah, all of the above. I think the first thing I do when I get somewhere is I open the Happy Cow app mm. and I see what's around. Some places are closed and they don't have vegan options anymore or some places aren't logged into the Happy Cow app. Yeah. So it's definitely never like my only resource. I check Happy Cow and then I open just like Apple Maps on my phone and I just type in vegan. And sometimes a bunch of random things will come up that aren't in Happy Cal yeah. um, and places that have I think that Apple Maps is like tied to Yelp, too. So if this is vegan and it's like you find like a random place and there's a review that says vegan options, then, you know, it'll come up as like a vegan place. Mm-hmm. So I use that a lot. I use Maps a lot and then kind of like take it to Yelp. Um of course, like if you're in a big city and there's like a ton of options and it's nice to see Yelp, it's nice to like see the ranked list and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but Instagram is also a great resource. And how I have found vegan things is I just look up hashtags. Like if I was in Cairo, I would look up like vegans of Cairo mm. um, and I would see like what they were eating Um, or just like, you know, just Google like vegan options in Cairo, like all that. Is really useful and accessible to anybody. And if you're staying at a hotel, you can ask the concierge to yeah. say, Hey, is there a vegan option? Do you know, like, or no? What about a vegetarian place? Like, oh yeah, I know a vegetarian place. You know, you can make things work like that, but definitely just a combination of all those things. But also walk around. I think if you have time off and you're going to just take in the views, and if you're not working, you're not running around and you actually have time. Um, just walking around, like walking, walk, walk in the main area, you'd be surprised how many like coffee shops will have some, and they're not anywhere. Sometimes they don't have a Yelp account or if they do, it's like the last review on it was from 2017. Mm-hmm. No one knows anything about it. You walk in there and they might have like a vegan muffin or they'll have, you know, an impossible sandwich that they're making themselves or, yeah, you know, so just really just getting out there. If you have time and just walking around and like, it n- never hurts to ask if you walk into a coffee shop or a restaurant and they don't have an option, oh, okay, great. Well, thanks so much. And then you keep walking. Yeah. You know?
0: I'm interested to know um what sparked your decision to walk away from that job for, with CBS.
1: So I did it for, t- I was going to say 12 years. I don't know where I got that number from I'm just <laughs> making things up now. I did it for five years Um, and I originally went to school. I also went to CSUN like you and I graduated from CSUN for uh TV and film. So I'm just, essentially for TV and film school. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to do was be a producer or, you know, get into either news or do scripted television. Um, And I kind of fell in love with unscripted travel, um, which is kind of what kept me at that company for a long time, because that company also produces unscripted television for PBS. Um, And they used to be with travel channel before, and they produce a lot of like fun, just fun documentary style um pieces on different locations. And but I was the head of the radio department. So that's kind of the department that I fell into. That's where they had an opening. And then when I became the head of the department, you know, I was, it's hard for me to it was hard for me to start dabbing um in other things, dabbling, mm. start dabbling in other things. So I decided to leave to do something a little more up my alley. Um it was a really fun job. I'm not gonna lie, there was a lot of challenges too. Um, One thing is traveling for fun, and another thing is traveling for work. They're very different. I'm not going to say it's not nice to stay at a very high end resort in Paris where it's like a thousand two hundred euro night. It's a wow. great time. But if you're, you know, you're waking up at six a.m. and you're working the whole day, and you get back to your hotel room and it's eleven p.m. and then you you go out and you see Paris for a couple of hours, and then you come back because you have a flight the next day. You know, it t- the, the glamour isn't always what it seems, Yeah. you know, but you make the most of it if it's if it's a job that you have. And, and obviously I got to go to a lot of really cool places, things that I places that I wouldn't have expected to go to. Like, I don't know, maybe in my life I would have been to Saudi Arabia, maybe sometime down the line. But I got to go right when the kingdom opened, right when it opened to, yeah. to tourism again. I think it was closed for a long time. And to get in, you had to be a journalist or you had to have business there. You mm-hmm. have to have a specific visa. And they opened in 2019. I got to go and I got to see, wow. you know, women not have to wear the abayas anymore. Uh, women were driving. And these were things that I had just heard of before. Mm-hmm. Like I heard of the experience has never really been there. And I got to go and, and really see it for myself um, and dispel a lot of like the myths and the rumors and just see people, you know, because one thing is a government and the other thing is, And the other thing is the citizens and the people and like their culture and yeah. And just like bridging that divide, bridging the gap and learning about other people. I, that's, that's something that's invaluable. And I ate vegan food in Saudi Arabia. (laughs) (laughs) I had the best dates ever. Wow. Lots, lots of vegan food. Yeah. So basically just, um, I, I left not too long ago to pursue, um, to pursue producing more. I want to do more more visual content as opposed to audio content, and that's that's where I am right now.
0: You did tell me that you have a project that you're currently working on, right? Do you want to tell me a bit about that?
1: Yeah. So, um, I for those of you who don't know, um, Vegan Street Fair is the big, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, uh, vegan fair in the world, um, and it happens every year in North Hollywood. It we just it just happened uh, end of March here in North Hollywood, California. Um, anywhere from 40 to 60,000 people show up um, post pandemic this year, it was 40,000 people still, which I think is a wow. giant number considering, yeah, considering, you know, the world shut down for a while. Yeah. Um, lots of different vendors, people from all over the world come, Um, especially, you know, especially before the pandemic, people would really like come out to LA and they would, they would specifically stay this weekend to come to this event. Cause it was mm-hmm. the best way to really see LA yeah. um all in one place it was like quick and you could eat and you could try everything and it's such a fun time and you get to see all the vegans in the community people who are trying vegan food for the first time mm-hmm. um i think that's the most fun like people who aren't vegan who just like stumble like stumble into the into the fair and like oh yeah oh this is delicious jessica cruz is the founder of that and she's been doing that now for uh, i think almost as long as i've been vegan I remember going in like 2014 or 2015 to the first one and it was Mm. small. It was the size of the farmer's market hailed that day. That was the day I met her, I think. So I've known her for a pretty long time. I'm going to say like six, seven years. And she is coming out with a new new branch of her company. And um, we will be creating basically travel guides for people. Um, who want to visit London and who want to visit LA for the first time, want to go to Miami, you know, Paris, whatever, whatever it is, that's the goal um, and show you like the best places to eat vegan food. Because one thing, you know, there's luckily we live now in the world where like a lot of the big cities have a ton of eating options, but I would be lying if I said that I like found a place that looked really good somewhere and then went and it was like, "Eh." it was okay. Yeah. So the goal of the guide is to, really presents the best of the best like you know the best like the top-notch places in each city um so that you can incorporate them into your into your time when you're visiting a place and you know not just like find something that's as vegan and then show up and it's like a dry falafel that's been you know in the (laughs) the grill with a slab of hummus or something yeah
0: yeah no that sounds super cool
1: yeah so that's what i'm that's what i'm going to be working on with her Um, And I'm pretty stoked about
0: it. Kind of along those lines. I know you said you traveled to 26 different countries, you said? Yeah,
1: roughly with, with my job. Yeah.
0: So you obviously had a lot of vegan food in a lot of different places. Yeah. And this may be a tough question, but...
2: Yeah.
0: Does one spot from all of the places you traveled to come to mind that if you could go to any of them and have one specific dish at this moment... Do one of those come to mind for you?
1: People have always asked me what like my least favorite place is or what my favorite place is, but not what my favorite vegan thing was from all of those places. Give me a second.
0: Okay. <laughs> um, or maybe a top three or four or five, whatever, uh, whatever helps.
1: Okay, that's easier. If I could do like a top, the top five. Okay. okay. In no order, I'm not. I'm not reading them. I had the best falafel of my life at a hookah bar in Cairo. It was at the. This place is in the in the Grand Bazaar in Khan el Khalili is what it's called in, mm-hmm. in Cairo. It's like a giant, just like outdoor market. There is a place in there. It's like a hookah bar, and you go in and it's beautifully decorated. And I just remember like seeing like, oh, this vegan. Boom, let's do it. Let's get falafel. It was the best falafel. Wow. I was like, oh gosh, it's just so good. So that's definitely up there. Yeah. Um, in Ecuador, there's a place. Um, in Guayaquil, there's a restaurant called Amaranto, which is like a little, it's like a grain. It's almost like you can pop it and it's like mini tiny popcorn. Mm -hmm. Um, but if you don't pop it, you can put it on top of a salad and make it crunchy. It's almost like, it looks like uncooked quinoa almost when it's not, when it's not popped. Um, they eat it a lot of the Andes in the Andes, um, it's called Amaranto and they have there this dish, this traditional Ecuadorian dish. Called what Beat that, and that's like a. It sounds interesting, but it's almost like a. I think it's it's supposed to be lamb mm. and peanut butter, broth with potatoes and like really hearty things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's it's a. I think it's a food from the north, so it's like from the mountains. So it's like a hot dish. Okay. Um, And they have a vegan version of it there. And I never thought I would ever come across that food. It's just so random and so specific. Um, And I think it's only Ecuadorian or at least what what I think is. I don't know if like maybe like Colombia or Venezuela have like a similar version Mm -hmm. of it. But just that dish there is just phenomenal. Oh, I had randomly in Iceland, just really amazing pizza. Oh, wow. I can't even tell you where I was. It was in the middle of nowhere going to a waterfall. Um, and there was a really nice, fancy, like lodgy hotel. And the mm-hmm. hotel had a bar, and the bar had the vegan pizza. And one thing it was vegan pizza. I remember it being like $21 for the pizza. It wasn't very big. Everything nice and was expensive. Really? It was delicious. It's probably one of the best pizzas I've ever had. Wow! I, I think every New Yorker listening to this is having a hard time. <laughs> um, but
0: <laughs> probably that was, it was
1: really that was really good. Okay, so that's that's number three. Okay, so in London, there's a there's um a pub. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it's called. I would be I would be making it up with the name right now. I I think it was something like Horse and Carriage. But I feel like that's the name of every pub, right? It's like Horse and Carriage, or like Fiddle <laughs> and the Cat, or something. Um, but if you, I found it on happy cow, so I'm sure you could find it on happy cow. And I don't even know if it's like the best fish and chips. Mm -hmm. I like, I, I only had it one time vegan fish and chips at this place. It's not a vegan spot. I don't think they have a vegan menu and they have vegan fish and chips. And I remember going in there and just getting, um, a pint of beer. And I don't like beer, but I'm like, it's the experience. I have to do it with those fish and chips. Oh, so good. It's like a. That's like a, an experience. You have to do that when you're in London. You have to go there. Okay. Um, Just happy cow. Like look up like London fish and chips horse carriage pub. I'm sure it'll come up. I'm sure we'll find it. So that's my four. Right. Yeah. I'm gonna split number five into two because they're dessert. Okay. And It's not like food. It's just dessert. So it's you no. Know, I'm not cheating. It's just honorable mentions. Number five is split into two. Okay. So number number five I'll say is there's a donut shop in Vancouver. Also can't remember the name. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they have dodge create donuts. And I remember getting like a strawberry jelly filled donut there and getting like a lavender donut, getting a matcha donut. I went all out. I got like a cayenne pepper donut and they switch it up. So they have like all the fancy donuts there. Um, so that was a really good spot. And the second number five, uh, is not, it's not a restaurant. It's just a product that you can get in Buenos Aires. So Argentina has this thing called alfajores, which is just kind of like a, it's almost like a cookie. It's like a chocolate cookie with dulce de leche in the middle. Okay. And it's like more cookie and more dulce de leche. And like the cookie is like a chocolate cookie. So everything's coated in the chocolate. Oh, wow. I used to have that growing up a lot. And you mm-hmm. would have that with like coffee or you would have it with mate, yerba mate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that would sort of be like a thing that people have like a sweet little afternoon snack or whatever so that's something that i didn't have for years and years and years when i was vegan Mm -hmm. i did some research and i found there's this company called un rincón vegano it's from argentina and you can get it at different like natural stores in argentina in in buenos aires sorry um and if you look it up you can find where it's at um but i found just a natural store kind of like a mini whole foods in buenos aires and they had it um And I got the just the traditional, just like chocolate vegan dulce de leche one and just brought me back. It was so good. I must have gotten like 15 to go. Um, And then the last time, the last time my dad was in Argentina, I made him uh, get me a box. So I got 24. Pretty obsessed with those. I think those are really, really good things. I know when we're done talking here, I know something else is going to come to mind and I'm going to be like, oh, shoot, why didn't I mention? (laughs) The so-and-so in, in Boston, but like those, I think those are my, those are my top fives. Yeah.
0: Well, if something from Boston comes to mind, definitely like shoot me a message with that info because I think I mentioned okay. I'm in Connecticut and uh, Boston's just up the Wait, way.
1: I did just think of something else. Not in Boston though. I'm sorry. Not no, in Boston. no. All good. All good. Oh Shoot. Okay. I have two, <laughs> two things. Oh, I'm just make this a top 15.
0: Whatever works. We'll run with it.
1: Okay, so two things in Philly. I love Philly. I think Philly's a really good food city. I've so there's there's a place in Philly called Goldie, and it's it was opened as a casual spot by this um, James Beard Award winning Israeli chef,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's essentially it's casual food. It's called Goldie. It's casual like falafel and Mediterranean food. The food is is great, it's delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to say it's the best falafel you've ever had. It's probably not, but it's it's really good. But the winner there are the tahini milkshakes. So they'll use tahini and like coconut, or tahini and coffee, or tahini and strawberry, um, and you wow. get this like milky, nutty, like sesame milkshake. You yeah. have to try it. It's to this day, I haven't tried a better milkshake. It's okay. so good. So Goldie and Philly. That's all fun. right. And then the second place in Philly is this place called Tattooed Mom. Um, it's a dive bar, and the whole thing is like graffitied, and there's it. Base you basically look like you're gonna come out of there like with a disease. It looks like it. <laughs> it's like if Hot Topic, what like met like the pediatrician's office met like a grunge club underground and people were passing around drugs It's kind of what it looks like i yeah. know like everyone's like why would i ever go there that's the point like you go there and it's so fun there's i think there's live music sometimes um but the place is just like so chill i know you're laughing at my, my explanation i see <laughs>
0: so i actually see it in my mind
1: yeah it's like or you know you know what it kind of looks like like a skate park you know when you go to, like, go to a skate park and like the whole thing is like graffitied and it just yeah, looks like yeah. a like that. That's what it looks like. Okay. Um. And the logo is like a lady, I think. And she's like tattooed. It's called Tattooed Mom. It's a bar. So like you'll have like drinks there and stuff. But you would never think that half of their menu is vegan. Wow. So you go in there and you can have a really good like blackened Cajun uh, vegan chicken sandwich. Yeah. Really good animal style fries. Like an In-N-Out, but mm-hmm. vegan, regular fries. But the key, the thing you want to get there is the vegan Philly cheese stick. I've had vegan Philly cheesesteak at vegan restaurants and other vegan restaurants in Philly. That's the place to get them. Okay. Nothing beats tattooed mom. It's, it's so good. I, every time I'm in Philly, I have to go and the owner gave me like a, like a membership card and it's kind of like a casino chip. It's a casino chip and it says tattooed mom. So if you go there a lot, maybe they'll hit you with one of those. like, here, here you go. We see you here a lot. Yeah. But, definitely go to tattooed mom and tell them I sent you
0: definitely I'm actually planning on passing through there uh hopefully soon
1: yes you have you have to go to tattooed mom okay yeah
0: I'm, I'm making it a point I'm putting it on the list yeah, 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 I, yeah I've never been a philly but you know when I go, I definitely plan on trying a, a, a vegan cheesesteak. So. It's,
1: it's a fun, it's a really fun city, I think. I think it might, it might be like my favorite East Coast city. Really? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it's just kind of smaller, a lot of history, a lot of great vegan food. Um, everywhere you step, it's like something was signed here. If you walk five steps here, someone punched someone here, you know, there's a lot, a lot of history. It's a great place.
0: Yeah. Thanks again to Alessandra for taking the time to share her story with Beyond the Kale. If you want to follow her online, you can find her and The Vegan View on Instagram and YouTube. I'll be sure to include all of that information in the show notes for this episode. And I'll also include links to some of the restaurants she says are her go-to spots when she's out looking for delicious vegan food. Now, as far as this podcast goes, you can find Beyond the Kale on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Beyond Kale Pod. Feel free to follow us on any of those social media platforms and wherever it is you go to get your podcast. And of course, thank you all very much for listening. We have more episodes on the way. So please definitely come back Check them out.